My name is Christopher Biddle, and you're listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. For several weeks now, we've been very happy to bring our community live panel discussions with Gunnison County officials discussing their response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We would normally bring you one of these live conversations right now, Monday nights at 6 p.m., and rest assured we will return with a live program and full panel next week. However, tonight we're doing something slightly different, a recorded conversation with myself and with Gunnison County Public Information Officer Andrew Sandstrom. For one thing, Sandstrom and I took the opportunity to go back over questions that had been submitted to KBUT as part of our live panel discussions, but which we felt like perhaps needed some revisiting. I also took the opportunity to ask some questions of my own. We'll talk about new public health directives that would allow lodging businesses and outdoor recreation guides to begin opening this summer in stages. We'll also discuss the relationship between the county and the state government during the crisis and local pushback, including protests against public health orders. The following conversation was recorded over video conference. Sandstrom was at his home. I was recording in my home, which I sometimes refer to as the KBUT News Satellite Studios. A reminder before we jump into the conversation, all of our past programs on COVID-19 in the Gunnison Valley can be found at kbut.org. Let's get to my conversation with Andrew Sandstrom, a public information officer with Gunnison County. So as I said, we have plenty of unanswered questions from the last session because a lot of folks were sending in questions as we were uh, doing live and we got caught up in the conversation that we were having. So we just wanted to make sure that we go back. I'm going to start with some clarification questions and then I'm going to follow that up by asking you where folks should go to answer these kinds of questions without necessarily having to do it over the radio, which might be a little bit more cumbersome, uh, but some you know um, resources on the web. So here is a clarification question from Emma. I am currently an unemployed, self-employed cleaner. Uh, I clean vacation rentals for a few locals. Is it legally acceptable for me to enter someone's full-time residence to clean? Um, so the cleaning services, as, as far as I'm aware, are not uh, are an essential service, um, and so they have been able to operate. Um, so the if there are people in there, you're going to need to uh, practice social distancing. So um, you know maybe it's communicating ahead of time with your client who is home um, to, you know, maybe alternate rooms or, or things like that. With the group size being up to 10, um, you are legally allowed to be together, but we are asking that you continue to social distance and some of those things. Great. Okay. So thanks for answering that question from Emma. Uh, from Lucia, does the language in the new order mean that non-residents can come into Gunnison County to have local realtors show them real estate? And so I don't believe that that one is made clear um, in the order. Um, and part of that is going to depend on where they're coming from. Um, so there are a number of counties in the state that are still under stay-at-home orders. So they, they wouldn't legally be able to travel here. And also the state is currently uh, only allowing what they're calling necessary travel. And so I don't believe that that is classified as necessary travel um, in the state orders. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there is something about necessary travel for folks coming into Gunnison County too, right? It's, it's folks are permitted to come into Gunnison County for things like court dates or things like that. But do you think, you know, shopping for real estate would fall into that necessary 
Um, you know, does the county have language around that, or is it mainly you're just relying on what the state says? Um, I don't believe that we specifically address that um, in our order, and we're more relying on what the state says. And people need to continue to be in compliance with their local orders um, where they live. Great. So, Andrew, those are a couple of clarification questions. Where can folks go to answer those sort of questions? Yeah. And so if you get really specific questions that maybe you're confused about in the order, one of the best uh, resources for you, um, if you uh, email your question to callcenter at gunnisoncounty.org, um, we are trying to uh, answer general questions via that channel. Um, we do have uh, about a 24 to 48 hour turnaround on answering those questions. Great. Um, and so this is another question kind of related to information, data, resources, things like that. Um, and uh, I know that you can answer this because I know that you've been working quite a bit on an information dashboard for the community to sort of help track uh, the you know progress of the health department and, and, and the spread of COVID-19. Um, and folks have just kind of been asking about data and, and what plans you might have for representing that data. But I know that um, I just want to give you a chance to kind of t tell us a little bit about that data dashboard, what's available there and, you know, what improvements might come to that, what changes might come to that in the future. Yeah. And so we're continually trying to update that with the most pertinent information. Um, if you go onto our website, uh, gunnisoncounty.org slash COVID-19, um, and then you click the tab of updates and then there's by the numbers and that will pull up a data studio, a Google data studio. Um, and those kind of have some general information on the bottom right corner. There's a link that says for the nerds. Um, and that actually will get into even more detailed data. Um, and then in the top right corner of that more detailed one, you can actually download the raw anonymized data um, that all those graphs come from. So we're, we're actually telling the community, look, if you have a cool way of representing some of this info that we're not thinking of, let us know. Um, so you can literally download that raw data off of our data studio. Sure. Um, another couple updates that we're working on with the data. One is, is that, you know, we really want to also portray some of the economic factors of this. Um, thus far, the data studio is focused very much on the health impacts. Um, but, you know, we certainly understand the economic hardships that this is causing at the same time. You know, we're having a health and economic crisis hand in hand. And so we are working towards uh, posting some data on things like unemployment rates, where tax collections are going, um, some of those pieces. Uh, the trouble we're running into there is, you know, many of those things are updated on a monthly or quarterly type scale. And so we're trying to figure out the best way to portray it um, as live as possible. So we're hoping to add that functionality to the um, data studio soon. Um, another piece that we're looking to add via our investigative science team is we want to add, we're trying to think of the name for it, where one talk was Corona meter um, and sort of having a scale uh, similar to fire danger ratings um, where we're looking at some of these early indicators that we're spreading again, being symptom reports, new positive tests, uh, new hospitalizations, so that we can portray to the community in real time how we're doing as a community with social distancing and hygiene. So, you know, as we're getting into the yellow, we might be able to remind people, hey, let's let's dial back. Maybe you don't need a 
ride bikes with Hartman's at friends. Maybe you can go by yourself and, you know, kind of just reminding the community uh, where we're, you know, how we're doing, if we're in a green, yellow or red type of a situation in some of our early indicators. So we're hoping to have that launched this week. Uh, if you had to pick a color for where we're at right now, what would you say? I haven't looked at the most recent data, to be honest. Um, the investigative science team is pulling those together. And one thing that we're finalizing for that Corona meter is sort of those trigger points. So, you know, what, how many new symptoms reported moves us to yellow and how many new hospitalizations moves us to red. And so that those trigger points are being investigated right now. So great. We're just going back over, if you're just joining us, we're going back over some questions to make sure that we're answering all the questions that are submitted to KBUT in our Q&A series. Uh, thank you to Andrew Sandstrom, Public Information Officer with Gunnison County, for helping us answer some of these. Um, now, Andrew, we're going to start to sort of get into, um, you know, maybe some di more difficult questions to answer, maybe some science um, and uh, decision making, but uh, one listener did ask, "What is the restriction that prohibits people 60 and over?" So, what's the current status with those restrictions? And then I have to appreciate this comment that in this community, 60 is not necessarily an at-risk group, uh, of course, because we have a lot of folk who uh, continue to be quite active uh, at that age in this community. Um, has there been any talk about changes to that restriction at all? We have gotten a lot of feedback on that particular piece of the order. Um, currently, essential workers that are 60 plus can continue to work. Um, but if you are not uh, 60 or if you're not an essential worker and you're 60 plus, you are not currently allowed to work. Um, and there, I'd say that that's been a major piece of the order that we've gotten feedback on. And there is consideration um, of maybe adapting that. Currently, the state sets that age limit at 65. Um, so we are a little bit more strict than the state on that certain piece. Um, and so that we, we might see a change there. Um, I can't, uh, can't speak for Joni currently right now, but um, I will say that we've had a lot of feedback there. And the reason for it is uh, that anybody 60 plus is, is highest like the most likely to have impacts on our hospital. So the hospitalizations seen worldwide are significantly higher amongst those older age groups. Um, and so, you know, for us, one of our initial goals um, in the public health orders was to keep the major impacts off of the hospital. And so uh, by minimizing the exposure to that at-risk group, um, we essentially keep more hospital beds open. And so that was the reasoning behind it. And we would still, you know, even if things begin to change, we would still certainly encourage those older folks, any chance they get to stay home, to stay safer at home. There, there's, uh, you know, there are services in place where we can get food deliveries, grocery deliveries, and we would really ask those folks to consider whether they need to go out or not. You're listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. I'm Christopher Biddle. My conversation with Gunnison County Public Information Officer Andrew Sandstrom was recorded earlier today, Monday, May 4th. We're answering questions submitted to KBUT for our Q&A series with local officials and their response to the COVID-19 crisis, answering questions that were yet to be answered. 
Still to come, we discuss new public health directives that will begin to allow part of the tourist economy to open in Gunnison County. Recordings of all past conversations are at kbut.org. That will begin to allow part of the tourist economy to open in Gunnison County. Also, we'll discuss recent pushback against the public health orders. Let's get back to our conversation. Let's sort of dive a little bit deeper here. Some some folks are sort of uh, wondering about the current tactics of the ter- current strategy, current goals of the healthcare system. You know, we started out with a stated goal of protecting the healthcare system. I think it's safe to say that we have passed the peak of danger. Um, you know put on our healthcare system. Um, it does not appear as though we have overwhelmed the healthcare system yet. There are folks who are wondering if the current strategy will simply allow for a spike to occur once public health orders end. Um, and we've also had folks that are asking, you know, reading about countries like Sweden, for instance, that have adopted more of a, a quote-unquote herd immunity uh, approach to this. Can you tell us a little bit about the current strategy and if any of these other you know, concerns or strategies may fit into it and may affect um, decision making? Yeah. And so, you know, early on in the spread, um, we were we were very much in an urgent reactive phase. And so we had to lock down very quickly to build up our infrastructure and uh, get prepared for what could have been a very large wave. And it, it was, we, we shipped a number of people out. I believe there was something like nine intubations in a 48 hour period. Um, and so, you know, we did see that massive increase and we, were, we had to lock down very quickly and to plateau the impact on the hospital. We haven't seen it completely go down. Um, we are still at an increased impact Um, compared to what we would normally see. And so we wanted to be able to keep it um, at that plateau where we're able to manage things. Um, Now that we've sort of gotten a handle on the initial impact, what we want to do is to begin opening things in a stepwise fashion um, so that we can continually monitor how things are doing. And uh, essentially the the measure for disease spread is what's called R-naught. Um, and the R naught of coronavirus is about two and a half, which means for every infected person, they infect two and a half more people. With the health restrictions, we've seen that R naught value dip below one. And essentially, we want to get our R naught as close to one as possible. And that will keep us on the plateau instead of moving into a, a growth phase of the disease. And so, right now, we're beginning to loosen some things up and open things up. Uh, we did respond to the business sector subgroups this uh, this week, um, and we're going to start opening up uh, hotels gradually through the uh, the month of May and uh, and June, as well as uh, you know looking at the guides and outfitters. We also got four more subgroup plans uh, over the weekend that we'll be responding to um, today or tomorrow. Um, likely it will be a similar ramp up. So we can start to understand if we're seeing more spread and if if these measures are helping or if we can continue to open. And, and our goal is, is to open, you know, as quickly as we safely can, um, because, you know, at the same time, we need to curtail a health crisis. We also need to curtail a 
economic crisis. Sure. And thank you for bringing up uh, those sector plans that uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the county approved these sector plans for um, these different industry groups uh, over the weekend. And we started to get a look at it. And I just kind of wanted to actually read from um, from the Gunnison from the notice that Gunnison County sent out. Um, and it says here the goal is to phase in over the month of May and June for short-term lodging uh, for that sector of the economy. May 15th, lodges should be able to plan to open with less than 25% capacity. Uh, March 27th, an appropriate target for lodges to open with 50% capacity, uh, 75% capacity at June 10th, and 100% by June 24th. Uh, and then for guides and outfitters, May 15th, guides should plan to begin with an exemption for residents, non-resident homeowners, and essential workers uh, who are in the county. Uh, so I assume May 15th is, is when essentially anybody who's allowed to be here is allowed to go on a rafting trip. Um, I did I'd say I will say that over the weekend I was out on the rivers and I saw some raft guys uh, preparing. It looked like they were doing some training, so that was a, a good thing to see. May 27th is an appropriate target for opening all visitors, tourists, residents, and essential workers unless there is a change in the state directive restricting in-state travel. Um, so, you know, and as always with anything surrounding public health orders and COVID-19, uh, there is, you know, a line here that says this could change. Tell us about the current situation in terms of tracking COVID-19 and why you're comfortable enough with these, um, these restrictions being lifted at these times. Yeah. And so, you know, as I mentioned before, we've, we've hit a plateau phase in the disease and we've seen our R naught dip below one. And so again, we want to be as close to that one as we can be um, without going over it. And so, we're starting to open things up uh, in conjunction with the state uh, because we're currently doing better than we need to as far as the R naught piece is concerned. And we, you know, we very much see the importance of beginning to get our economy going again because that's, you know, very important along with our, uh, you know, the, the health of our community. And so, um, yes, there are caveats to those dates, um, and part of that is is what the state ends up doing. Um, currently, their orders sunsets on May 26th, and so that's why we chose that May 27th date. Um, and currently in their order, it says only necessary travel. So traveling here to do a fly fishing guide for the weekend is not considered necessary travel by the state. And so um, we, we can't encourage people to travel here if it's illegal at a state level. And so... Uh, we will continue to monitor on our end the symptom reporting. So it's very important that even if your symptoms are not severe, that you do report it to us. That is one of our earliest warning signs that we're seeing too much of an increase in spread. Another piece will be the positive tests. So if we start to see more positive tests, um, and then the last piece would be hospitalizations. Those are the three main indicators that we're looking at. Um, to determine whether that R not value is starting to get above that one level that we're shooting for. 
This is KBUT Community Radio News. I'm Christopher Biddle, and you're listening to my interview with Andrew Sandstrom, a public information officer with Gunnison County. Before we get back to our conversation, I want to play a bit of KBUT's Friday newscast featuring an interview with Beth Wyman, who, with input from a Facebook group called Save Gunnison County's Summer and Businesses, published a letter in both local newspapers asking for, quote, an unambiguous path towards the last of our businesses being opened by June 1st. The Facebook group is also closely associated with public protests that occurred last week. KBUT has not reached out to Wyman in the Facebook group regarding the most recent round of health directives to begin opening, but we believe what she says here expresses an important part of this conversation and the strain put on local businesses. That was an excerpt from Fire... We live in a world of reservations and planning and getting our guests now in the springtime so they come in the summertime. Beth Wyman, who owns a cabinet-making business with her husband, wrote the letter with input from the Facebook group. She points to the example of Chafee County's goal of opening businesses by June 1st. Who's going to come visit if they don't know if there's a restaurant open? Who's going to come visit if they can't say that they're going to be able to raft or stay in a hotel? You know, if a tourist doesn't know if they have a restaurant to eat in on July 1st, they're not coming for July. The letter calls for county officials, including Public Health Director Joni Reynolds, to stop taking their salary, quote, until these restrictions are lifted. Wyman says, though, they are not calling for an immediate lifting of all public health orders, although some in the group wanted to include that demand. Wyman says the county's current plan for reopening the economy lacks clarity. It's all tentative. It's all tentative and a moving par- a target. There is no, there, it, it's all... <laughs> It's all based on markers and this and that, and it can be pulled back and rolled back. And that isn't how the real world works. It doesn't work like that. We are not at the mercy of our healthcare system. We can't have this, well, maybe, and only till a vaccine, and if things go bad, and if we have an uptick in cases. That was an excerpt from Friday's local newscast here on KBUT. Now let's get back to my conversation with Gunnison County Public Information Officer Andrew Sandstrom, recorded earlier today, Monday, May 4th. So since we are talking about businesses, we do know that um, recently there has been some organized local pushback. There were some protests uh, occurring last week, Wednesday, uh, in Gunnison regarding uh, public health orders, businesses that wanted to be open, a lot of um, sort of liberty issues as well, freedom of movement and so on and so forth. Um, one of the things that we saw coming out of that conversation a lot was department stores were permitted to remain open. I'm thinking specifically Walmart and Gunnison. Uh, some small business owners were really upset about that. Can you explain some of the thinking around that? Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the initial public health orders, um, you know, we were making unprecedented legal language in a, a very quick time to get this disease under control. Um, and one, you know, major concern was is that people needed certain supplies like groceries, pharmaceuticals, toilet paper, um, in order to continue to survive. Um, and so, pretty much nationwide, you have seen that those types of stores remained open. Um, and so, we we took some guidance from you know both the state, other counties, um, but we determined that you know particularly Walmart having a pharmacy. Um, as well as other supplies that you need, um, needed to be one business to remain, that remained open. 
And I'm wondering about the frustration that we saw come out of the community last week. Um, you know, and o- overall, Andrew, I think you'd probably agree with me that it was sort of the toughest week of this uh, experience in a lot of ways. Um, and I understand that the emergency response team, the COVID-19 response team here in the Gunnison Valley, seem to be sort of affected by this pushback um, can you just describe the mood this past week um, amongst the uh, COVID-19 response team? Yeah, and I, you know, I think that we're, as I've mentioned before, we're dealing with an economic and a health crisis hand in hand. Um, and, you know, we were beginning to, to get to a point where we've maybe had some of the health aspects uh, a bit under control and looking at ways to reopen um, and understanding where these businesses are coming from. They're scared about their future. They're scared about whether they can uh, you know, continue to operate. Uh, many of them rely on these summer months to make it through the year. Um, and so there is certainly growing concern within incident command on how are we gonna you know, open in a safe way because you know, there's very much a sense that we needed to open in some form um, you know, because the economic health can drive the, the uh, health, physical health of the community down too. If, if no one has money to eat or work, um, that can cause tremendous damage to community health as well. And so it was this growing pressure of economic. Uh, and, you know, so we were working very quickly to, to try and figure out the, the safest way that we can do that. And, and I think, you know, the, the, group that came out very much in support of a full opening, that was only one piece of the spectrum. We were hearing from people that were opening too soon, that are scared that we're opening too soon and scared about the virus. We had people in the middle that feel like uh, it was happening on a good time frame, And so there, there's definitely a spectrum of people. And uh, you know, we're certainly trying to address both of those needs um, and open as efficiently, but also as safely as, as we can. So and when we originally talked about getting together, one of the things that you mentioned that you wanted to talk about on the airwaves tonight um, were some of the businesses that you saw um, making the best of the situation. Uh, and I was wondering if you wanted to share some of that. Yeah. And, and you know, so I think that this is a this global pandemic is not where anybody in the community wants to be right now. Um, and the unfortunate truth is, is that we likely will be living with this disease for a while. And so, you know, how can we as a community uh, begin to live within what this new normal might be like? And how can we get creative uh, within the new safety protocols and some of those pieces? I think there's been some tremendous positive uh, energy uh, feeding locals that are out of work, um, you know, really unique to go offering from restaurants. I've seen some retail stores doing virtual tours of their stores. And, you know, it's certainly something that uh, we can live within these parameters and how can we get creative and how can we as a community uh, support these local businesses instead of ordering off of the internet? Um, You know, I think that we can cover most of our needs here locally. and, and, And I would, I would urge us all to support these local businesses and, and particularly, you know, within these new normals. So join a virtual shopping tour or, you know, partake in one of the awesome to go options that, that uh, these businesses are offering. Um, and, and, 
you know, that's the best way that we can support each other through this is to, to keep up these safety protocols, but let's learn to live with it in a, in a manageable way. That was an excerpt from Friday's local newscast here on KBUT. Now let's get back to my conversation with Gunnison County Public Information Officer Andrew Sandstrom, recorded earlier today, Monday, May 4th. Um, so I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit here um, and talk about something that I uh, would like to know more about myself, um, and that is sort of how things are going between the state of Colorado and Gunnison County. Um, so I just want to take some time to kind of look back over the relationship uh, during this pandemic response. Shortly after the first cases of COVID-19 were discovered here in the state, Governor Polis told citizens that Colorado's high mountain communities, um, in general referring to you know mostly ski tourist towns like Crested Butte and, and Gunnison, would be uh, hit first. Uh, and I think, you know, likely hit the hardest is kind of what the idea um, that he was trying to portray was. He declared a state of emergency on March 10th. Uh, it was around that time that officials here and at the state level began using the phrase hotspot to refer to Gunnison County. Uh, it was clear that there was community transmission happening in Gunnison County at that time. It wasn't long after that that um, nationally it was really regarded as a hotspot. We've consistently seen high case rates here often the highest in the state, sometimes the highest in the country. I was wondering if you could describe in those initial days what that relationship was like between the Gunnison uh, response team. You know, first of all, how that came to be, how it was assembled, and the state's responsibility and role in that. Yeah, and so, you know, as you mentioned, we were very early on in the spread. Um, I think that it was a very real uh, issue here. Um, and it was just becoming to be understood at the state level um, at that time. Uh, and we were, you know, very early on, we were in uh, close communication with some of these other mountain communities that were seeing the spread. Um, so we worked very closely with Eagle County. Um, they were another very early on. Uh, and you know, and also back with the state. And they, um, you know, early on in the spread, they sent an epidemiologist out to help us. They sent some um, some resources around communication. Um, and then the communication piece actually expanded to the whole Western Slope. Um, and so the state, uh, while they were coming to terms with it as we were dealing with it, um, they definitely got on board quickly um, in supporting any way that they could. And I think one of the major concerns here and other mountain communities is one, the altitude. Um, people don't do as well with respiratory disease at altitude. And, and the second piece is just the, the lack of resources, of hospital resources. As you know, we only have a 24-bed hospital with no ICU service. And so um, I think the state was very much looking uh, at how to expand that service, um, how to uh, take care of the residents in these communities that might need to be shipped to the front range or to Grand Junction or some of these other places. Um, and so there was good communication uh, with the state and we, we continue to, to be in touch with the state any way that we can. Starting March 25th was the governor's stay at home order. Um, and if I'm recalling correctly, basically that came out within hours of some messaging from the county that clarified some local public health orders. And it became very clear 
that the county was not aware that the state was about to put out their stay-at-home order. Um, and that's something that I asked Joni about. She said she did not get a heads up from the state. I was able to ask in a press conference, you know, if they were communicating with Gunnison County or, or counties, but specifically Gunnison County, uh, about that change and when and when it was going to come in. Basically, I was told. Basically, my question was sort of brush brushed off, and and they said that you know the the states worked hard to communicate with the counties throughout this. Um, but I do, I do see that looking back as the maybe the beginning of, you know, a slight uh, breakdown. I don't know if it's been a full breakdown, but a slight breakdown in some lines of communication. That being the first instance where it really seemed as though local officials here were caught off guard um, and had to put out very quickly another round of messaging clarifying for folks that were confused um, about as to, you know, whether the state health order made any changes to the local public health order. Um, and then, as you mentioned, supplies are a strain. Um, I did pick up uh, in, in meetings that I've been able to attend uh, some frustrations about the availability of testing kits. I don't know if it was necessarily directed at the state. I know that the state was one supplier of testing kits that did not always come through when they said they would. Um, you know, and so in in this sort of next phase of the the process, it seemed as though there was a little bit of a breakdown in communication compared to the very swift, very concise, um, you know, sort of building up of these systems and the like. The, the initial response it seemed as though the second sort of phase of this was a little bit more difficult. And I, I was just wondering if you could you know talk about how that works in the second phase of this. Um, you know, of this response. You know, these are, as we've said, unprecedented times and we're having to, to write orders that are uh, completely new to us. No one, at least that I'm aware of here, was alive during the last pandemic. Um, and so we had to very quickly come up with some things. And, and you know, we, for instance, the, the state used the terminology safer at home. And we didn't have that in our orders because it wasn't a term when we had our when we launched our orders. And, you know, another thing that's been very difficult through this um, is how quickly things have changed uh, it, by different county or by state or even federal level and how that affects us locally. Um, and with the speed that some of these uh, pieces have had to come out there, you know, we don't necessarily have a, a massive lead time. And I think there was a, a um, an order that came from the state that ours slightly contradicted. And I think that was maybe a, a little bit of a communication breakdown. And then I think the next time around, we had much better communication. And so um, with the latest orders that came out with the phasing from the 27th to the first to the fourth, we were very, working very closely with the state on what they intended to do and what their intentions were for timing of that so that we could do our best to coincide with the state um, to, to minimize the confusion for people. As far as supplies and testing goes, um, you know, I think that's something that's being dealt with on a world stage. Uh, you know, the state has to, to divvy out their limited supplies too. And, and, you know, have we gotten every set of tests that we want? No. But has anywhere? Not really. Most places do not have as much as they want. Um, and the state probably doesn't have as much as they want. I will say that 
you know, early on, it was, we were seeing a nine or 10 day turnaround on testing. Now we're seeing about a 24 hour turnaround on testing. Um, so the state's done a really good job of, of ramping that up and getting to a much more efficient process, but it, it took a little bit of time to get there. So, and then the most recent sort of uh, discrepancy between um, what the state is saying and what uh, local officials are saying are the test results. Um, and it seems as though it's getting quite confusing because the, the state is using quite a number of uh, different categories to put it in, whether it's indeterminate, whether it's probable. Can, can, can you give us a rundown of where the state's at compared to where we're at and why those discrepancies are occurring? Yeah, and so there's basically it comes down in, in epidemiology, there's a, a case definition uh, is what they call it. And our case definition that we've been operating on and the state was operating on early on is slightly different. And so what we've tried to do via our data studio is also now add in those state, what they're calling probable positives. And so the state is looking at uh a probable positive. So somebody that even tests negative, their test came back negative. Um, if they had a direct contact with a positive person, or if they had um, symptoms, then they are being counted as a positive. Um, I did put out in a couple of updates, those actual definitions. There's a number of definitions of a probable positive at the state level. And so for instance, uh, with the senior care center, anybody that was tested at the senior care center is counted as a state probable positive because the care center was considered an outbreak by the state. And so whether their tests came back negative or positive, they were being counted as a positive. And so again, that's something that, uh, you know, will continue to be a discrepancy, but we are trying to reflect that uh, in our data studio with the state probable positive versus ours we're only counting confirmed positives. So those are people that actually tested positive via the RNA PCR testing. Why, why are we sticking to that and not just going with what the state uses? Um, well, part of the issue there is, is that uh, we would have to go back retroactively and look at all the other probable positives, which you know likely could be most of the people that went through our screening site. Um, because most were symptomatic, most were tested, some tested negative. Um, and so we found that that might be confusing both to our modeling and to our community um, if all of a sudden every negative now looked like a positive. Um, not that I can think of. With sector plans you know, going through, being approved, uh, getting sent back, uh, are we likely to see some more public health orders come out this week? Um, I think there is some talk about possibly doing some clarification, um, but I, I don't have a final answer on that right now. I'd imagine we'll see something come down the pipe uh, very soon. But I think one other thing that we're trying to do, uh, you know, along with like the state was doing with us on this last round of orders is give everyone a little bit of a heads up on what they might expect in those orders. Um, and, you know, part of the reason for that is we can't tell a business that, oh, you're allowed to open tomorrow and expect that they can actually open tomorrow. Yeah. Many of them need to prep up. They need to order food. They need to order merchandise. They need to train staff. And so we're trying our best 
to give uh, at least some heads up so that there is opportunity to begin the, that training and, and staffing up process. Can you tell us a little bit about the business starter kits? I heard that mentioned today in uh, the EOC meeting. Um, yeah, what's in and those? so uh, basically, we're we're you know we were very impressed via the business subgroup uh, pr- proposals for reopening. We were very impressed with the creativity and the um, you know dedication to the safety of their employees and the customers. Um, and with that, you know, it's going to be operating within kind of a new normal with PPE, with more sanitization procedures, with some signage. And so those business uh, starter kits that are going to start going out today and we'll continue rolling them out are going to have some things like surface cleaners, hand sanitizers, masks, some signage, um, basically some of the things that were uh that are expected of the businesses uh, to operate safely, we're giving them a little booster pack to kind of get going um, with these new protocols. Pretty much uh, all the info and resources are in gunnisoncounty.org slash COVID-19. If you go to the business resources tab um, within there, you can sign up for any of the subgroups um, and then and uh, we'll continue to post information there. We're pushing out industry-specific information via those subgroups, so you can sign up uh, with your email address there, um, as well as you know, you know, feel free to reach out. Like I said, general questions we're directing to call center at gunnisoncounty.org, um, and we're happy to uh, you know answer in a timely manner. Great. Andrew Sandstrom, uh, Public Information Officer with Gunnison County. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today and uh, letting folks know what's going on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been a production of KBUT News. If you'd like a recording of tonight's show, go to KBUT.org and make sure to tune in next week when we'll be back on the air with a live panel answering your questions about the local response to COVID-19. Before we let you go, let's take a look at some of the other COVID-19 related news around Colorado. An alliance of Colorado groups say they're making strides using what's called convalescent plasma to help treat patients with severe COVID-19. Researchers are testing the use of donated blood of people who've recovered from the coronavirus. They believe antibodies in plasma from the blood once delivered to sick patients via blood transfusion boosts their ability to fight the virus. Chris Chiarallo, a doctor from Denver Health, was hospitalized at University Hospital with life-threatening vital signs and lab results. As his condition got worse, he was given the plasma. There's risks to everything that we do. Right, giving plasma is not without risk, but I think that there's a lot of gain to be made in a certain population that, just like me, you're otherwise just leaving, hanging out to dry. Chiarallo got better, didn't need to go on a ventilator, and was released from the hospital last week. State lawmakers are abandoning an effort to create a public health insurance option because of the coronavirus pandemic. KBUT's Scott Franz has more. Democrats were hoping the measure would create more competition and drive down premiums on the individual market, especially in rural areas. But hospitals strongly opposed it because the state would have decided how much money they would get for care. Sponsors say they cannot negotiate with hospitals during the pandemic. House Speaker Casey Becker said last week the measure was one of several Democratic priorities that would probably derail. Our focus right now really is on providing a balanced budget 
and figuring out what we can do, particularly to be responsive to COVID and get us out of this, you know, this healthcare pandemic and this economic, you know, crisis that we're in. Becker says lawmakers are also bracing for a $3 billion budget shortfall next year. They plan to return to the Capitol later this month to work on the budget. I'm Scott Franz in Denver. Colorado hospitals are back performing elective surgeries and other procedures, but as CPR health reporter John Daly reports, some could be almost broke with only a few months cash on hand. New York City Mayor De New York City Mayor Bill De Blasio is praising the sacrifice of an Aurora paramedic who died getting COVID-19, helping the city's beleaguered emergency response system. Paul Carey was part of the FEMA relief effort. There's something particularly painful when someone does the right thing. A fellow American comes from across the country to try and help the people of New York City. And while working to save lives here, gives his own life. It's heroic. It's something we honor. De Blasio says a memorial by the city to the 66-year-old grandfather will be a way to remember all the people who raced to the city to help. Carrie's body was returned to Colorado Sunday with a large procession of first responders. This is KBUT Community Radio News. I'm Christopher Biddle. Bobby's World is coming up next at 7 p.m. Thanks for tuning in.